Hello, I'm Jennifer Thompson. And I'm Chad Thompson. And we are your hosts of The The Premise, Premise. where we get to the story behind the storyteller. And this season four, that's right, we're in season four. We've got some amazing storytellers lined up, and we really appreciate you listening. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Let's roll. Autobots, roll out. Hello and welcome to The Premise. Here we are, another episode with a phenomenal author, podcaster, adventure, and just crazy, all-around badass lady, Shelby Stinger. Welcome to The Premise. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm so excited to talk to a fellow author who's also like a badass rock climber. Mm, I don't know if I'm a badass, but I'm definitely a rock climber. (laughs) You go. And And we'll talk about that. Yeah, Yeah. let's do it. I love it. I love it. So let me tell our readers a little bit about you. Shelby Stanger is the host and creator of the hit podcast, Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI co-op studios production. Over the years, her work has appeared everywhere from Outside Magazine to ESPN, and she has spoken to organizations like the Girl Scouts of America, NPR, and Creative Mornings, also chasing adventure herself. Shelby has surfed from Canada to Costa Rica sandboarded. I don't even know what that is. I can't wait to find out. I have a feeling it's riding a surfboard on the sand. Am I right? Pretty much. Or a snowboard. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Board. Okay. Any board that will go on sand. I love it. That's probably something I could do. I'm terrified of the ocean. But anyway, sandboarded down desolate dunes in Cape Town. Oh, I just needed to keep reading. Paddled down a remote portion of the Amazon River. So many bug bites and interviewed countless CEOs, athletes, activists, and thought leaders. She regularly consults with high motivated, highly motivated individuals and brands to help them tell better stories and even launch their own podcasts and wild ideas. Again, Shelby, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk to a fellow adventurer and writer, book lover. Reading this You're book... Yeah, we're, we are each other's people, I'm convinced, because I read your book, so I know. Reading this book was so much fun, and, and it made me want to, like, blow up my life and, like, move back into a van. <laughs> yeah, back. Back. Chad and I have done that a couple times. We've blown up our lives a couple times. We'll probably talk about that today. But I want to talk about you. So your book begins with you. You're stalling on a surfboard off the coast of Southern California, and you're afraid to take a big wave. But really it's a metaphor for your life and taking changes and chances, acting on your wild idea. Can you tell us about your wild idea and what made you finally act on it? Not not just the wave, but we wanna hear that, but also the life you chose for yourself. Well, I wanted to be an adventure storyteller. Mm. On paper, that made zero sense. It was the height of the 2009-10 recession, 2008-9 recession. And I had this dream job. I had talked myself into a job first as a journalist for the Vans Warp Tour, which was a punk rock concert series that went to 60 cities in 60 days. And I wrote these daily stories and it was awesome. But then the only real adventure job I could get writing at the time, I'd pitched the New York Times, I pitched the LA Times, I pitched the Union Tribune, I pitched all these papers like, hey, I want to just write about adventure. And there wasn't like this full-time job for it. But someone said, 
even a guy at the LA Times, the head editor in chief was like, talk to Vans. And I had a relationship with Vans. I got myself a job as the first female journalist for this punk rock concert series where I had to send my stories up through a dial-up connection every day, which meant I needed to find a dial-up connection. <laughs> right. Awesome. Possible. Um, but fast forward, I just, I was working in marketing essentially, and I love marketing. I love Vans, but I didn't love the commute. At the time, you couldn't work from home. Mm. And I had like this strict schedule when my brain works really well in the morning and then like in the afternoon, it kind of shuts off. And then late at night, it kicks in again. And I just wanted to write. And mm. it made no sense. So essentially, I needed to drop in on life and make this decision that made no sense on paper. But there was also this wave in front of my house where I was living in Laguna Beach. It, it was called Rock Pile, which is so ironic because in San Diego, I live in front of a break also called Rock Pile. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I mean, <laughs> and in Solana Beach, this or in Laguna Beach, this wave, to catch it, you had to take off between two rocks. And if you didn't time it right, you could hit the rock. And it was terrifying. And it's not terrifying to super experienced surfers. But at the time, I was kind of a weekend warrior. Mm. Even though I grew up teaching surfing, I taught surfing at La Jolla Shores, which is this gentle, dreamy beach break in La Jolla, California. And it wasn't like Rock Pile. So the day I finally caught this wave at Rock Pile, I just felt totally different. I gained courage. And I think that's the thing about adventure is that doing something scary outside in nature where all of our senses are expanded and we're connected to things like awe, which takes us out of our head and makes us feel small yet connected to other people at the same time, changes us. Mm. And I wouldn't say that wave changed everything. There had been some other moments that was building up to that for about two years. But that's the day I was like, I'm doing it. I'm mm. going to give notice to my boss. I'm going to pursue journalism full time. And at the time, I had been freelancing on the side at night and trying to write for magazine. I, I landed one story in Outside Magazine. And at the time, I was like, okay, that's a prestigious enough outdoor adventure magazine that if I say I have a clip in outside, I could get clips in other places. And so I also got courage doing that. But I think for me, the catalyst was dropping into a wave. And in doing so, I had to drop into my life and live more intentionally and take risks. And it's funny because, Jennifer, the day I decided to give notice to quit my job, I got a call. And <laughs> I don't know how these things in life happens, but sometimes when you make a decision with your heart, the universe aligns. And it doesn't always happen. There was a lot of decisions I was making at the time where the universe was telling me like red light, stop, like <laughs> putting me in traffic where a semi truck overturned on the 101 in LA, making me realize I, I was literally stuck as well. But on this day, the day I gave notice, I got a phone call immediately from a PR person I told I was thinking about quitting my job to pursue adventure journalism full time and to think of me if she had story ideas. It was to go to Indonesia to surf with a group of 10 guys who were going to be the first to stand up paddle these remote waves off these island in, in Indonesia called the Mentawis. And I talked to myself as you know, a female journalist, they wanted a guy to cover it was a group of guys. I was like, listen, I, I can hang. I'm not going to hit on these guys. I want nothing to do with these older men at the time. <laughs> now I'd be like pretty stoked to go on a boat trip with all older men. But anyways, <laughs> then I was pretty young and 
Um, yeah. So I went on that trip and I think that trip, the adventure of that trip catapulted me with courage for the next 10 years. Wow. So yeah. I'm sure you're a rock climber. Like there's nothing like climbing up a rock or even going to a rock climbing gym. It's a sport where you fail and fall a lot. Yeah. But eventually you get more comfortable failing. Mm -hmm. So the trying gets easier and then you have more success. But I was one of these perfectionists that was really afraid of failure growing up. And yeah. I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate because they're writers and readers. And a lot of writers and readers tend to be slightly perfectionist. And that was hard to hard to shake. But yeah. adventure helped me shake it a little bit. Totally. Yeah. It grounds you in a way that nothing else does. I always say there's no falling in climbing, by the way. Well, that's true. I meant like, <laughs> I meant like I go to a bouldering gym yeah. and I guess I fall a lot there, but I, I mean, or if I even go to like Mesa Rim where I'm tied in by ropes and do top line climbing, mm -hmm. if I fall, I'm, I have a harness, I'm connected. I'm not free soloing ever, but, but you do make mistakes a lot. And that's the only way you can get that's to a higher learn. level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing about climbing too is that first fall, I mean, I, I kid when I say there's no falling in climbing. Although recently I took a girlfriend out to some boulders and she was like, she'd never bouldered. She'd only climbed on a rope. And she said, well, what happens if I fall? And I said, well, you don't fall. There's no falling in climbing. <laughs> she just looked at me like, uh, and she fell. But the thing about it is that first fall makes you realize, oh, it's okay. You know? I'm not afraid of this anymore. I, I'm going to live through it. It's going to be fine. I might scrape my elbow, but you know, it's going to be fine. And there's just something about taking that step over that threshold that allows you to keep going. And it's such a beautiful thing. I think surfing is the same way. It's funny because when I was a young woman, as a teenager, I taught surf lessons at Surf Diva and I taught all through my 20s. But I remember even as a teen, women would come, they would learn to ride a few waves over a weekend or week-long clinic. And then shortly after, this was like, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, I'd get a phone call and someone would call me saying, hey, Shelby, I quit my job or <laughs> I ended my relationship that was really not serving me for good this time or something like, I'm moving across the country by you to a place with a better beach. And wow. I think I was so intrigued by the phenomenon of people being able to make a change after us. For me, that was a small adventure taking a week weekend surf clinic. But for them it was really big, especially yeah. when there weren't tons of surf schools back then. And I, I, I inadvertently kind of made it my life's work to study why adventure, why adventuring in nature specifically could be a catalyst for someone to change their life. You know, and I think that's what I love most about your book is, you know, you interview well, first of all, for our listeners, it's a combination of memoir, inspiration, but it's also action items and pro tips on how to like get out of your head and get out into life, whether that's outside or going on a walk or whatever. But your book breaks down tips like you can you don't have to go climb Mount Everest. You can do something smaller, but getting out into nature and connecting with nature, connecting with your heart is so huge and you make it seem possible at any level. And I love that about your book and how you combined so many big, you know, big ideas, if you will, wild ideas, if we will. I have a question. Did it start out as a memoir or did it start out more as an inspirational book as to how to achieve and go after your wild idea? Oh, that's a good question. I think I 
had a memoir that I'd been trying to write since I was 25 Mm -hmm. and was probably too chicken to write it at the time (laughs) because like many people, there's too many people still alive to write what I want to write. But also I had this podcast I'd started about wild ideas and like I'd been doing talks about it and I was like, okay, one day I'll write this big memoir, but right now this is the most important thing to me. I want people to connect with nature. And I think we all saw during the pandemic that like that was the one place we could connect and could heal. And all of us had our mental health affected just by mm-hmm. life in the last couple of years. I've never yeah. seen such a high anxiety rate. It's like the great anxiety right now, not the great depression. It feels like at least. Totally. Well said. And our times in nature can ground us, heal us. I mean, there's so many studies. Like in nature, our blood pressure often decreases, our nervous systems relax, our immune system boosts, we're able to make better decisions. I mean, there's even a study that was published in 2019 that said that even 20 minutes of nature a day as opposed to walking outside in a city can reduce cortisol, which is our stress hormones. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to get this book into the world. And I always wanted a guidebook of like how to do it. Hmm. How do you get unstuck and actually go make this decision that makes zero sense on paper? And there was nothing like it. There's all these adventure books that glorify the finish line and say, climb Everest. And frankly, I'm never going to climb Mount Everest. I mean, someone (laughs) just invited me to go to base camp and I was like, really? I think I'm going to have to say yes. But like, I have no desire. I don't like being cold. It's expensive. Um, it's just not something I want to do. I also don't want to ride my bike from Alaska to Mexico. I don't even really want to ride my bike from like the edge of Tijuana back to my house (laughs) in Solana Beach. Like I'm cool with small adventures. They do as much for me as probably big adventures do for some people. Like I don't need a lot. I need a little and a little goes a long way. So I wanted a book that had everything I wanted to read in a book. Like I love books that are easy to read. You know, it's not like America's great literary novel. It's written in really plain plain English. There's slang. And I was okay with that. Um, I wanted how-to tips. So if I was just in a rush, I could skim through and look at the pages Mm. that I wanted to read. And I wanted to hear stories of a mix of people. And yes, telling my story was the easiest, obviously, because I relate to my own story the best. But I wanted to show people, you know, a 55-year-old who became an ice climbing guide, you know, at 55, even though she'd been a suburban mom. And I wanted to show this person who became an outdoor drag queen and someone who is a body positive runner that definitely didn't fit the stereotype of a runner before. And I wanted to showcase older people who were adventuring and learning to surf at 85 and even the boogie board grandmas who, you know, started boogie boarding a couple times a week up to age 96. And so I also wanted to show a range of adventures that were really small, like a guy who started drawing outside and it completely changed his life. And he became this famous TikTok star to like a couple who wanted to grow organic food and start a farm, which became their wild idea and led to movies and book deals and so much more, but mostly just to happiness. And And maybe happiness isn't the right word because I think it's more that we achieve a sense of connection and we learn to wonder a little bit more and to feel. Mm, So like one of the things was the finish line. Like that was really important to me. Adventure books glorify finish lines. 
And I've interviewed so many adventurers and a lot of them experience post-adventure depression or fatigue. And some of that's literally scientific. Like you get this boost of dopamine that you no longer have because you're not climbing a mountain every day. You know, even people who hike the Pacific Crest Trail, like they have this giant sense of purpose where every day you hike a certain amount of miles, you set up your tent and you get food and, you know, your life is not easy, but it's pretty simple. It's down to the basics. And I think after having certain adventures like that, there's a bit of a readjustment period. And so I wanted to showcase how at the end of a big adventure, you can give yourself grace at the finish line. Mm -hmm. And that it's not always glorious, but that for the rest of your life, you have that adventure in you. It's funny. There's a guy who owns a rock climbing gym in San Diego, and they're also in Brooklyn. They're in Washington State, and they're called Vital Climbing Gyms. And his name is David Satcher. And when he was 19 years old, he biked from the top of Alaska down to Patagonia. And it was crazy because he'd never had a bike with clip and pedals. He'd never really camped before. He just really (laughs) wanted to do it. And he had no idea what he was going to do for his career. He needed your chapter on planning for sure. Well, yes, he had no plan. He just kind of started, which is okay. I probably should have said in that planning chapter, you can also just go. And he said that that trip formed a diamond in his soul. And it's like something that he takes with him to the rest of his life. And in business, it really helped him because He came up with this idea to start a community-based climbing gym that was open 24 hours a day where kindness was a huge factor and everybody was welcome and it would feel more like you're hanging out with friends, barbecuing and climbing every day at this climbing, bouldering gym. And I've been to Vital Climbing Gyms and they feel really welcoming. It's really cool. And, you know, he said when he pitched this idea originally at like age 20 or 19, whenever he got back, maybe 21, no, 20, to investors, they were much more likely to say yes and give him money because here was a guy who said he was going to do something hard and he did it. Mm -hmm. But also he wasn't afraid of things like asking for money, like figuring out how to lease a building, make a rock climbing gym. I mean, There's a lot of things I would be afraid of to start a rock climbing gym, but I think after doing something really scary out in the wild, in nature, where so many of your senses are engaged and you're so connected to yourself, you you start to get less scared. And Jennifer, don't get me wrong. I mean, I was a really, I'm a really scared person and I actually (laughs) did write about it in the book and some of it got cut out, but like Mm. I grew up with a lot of sudden death. And a lot of fear of just like dying. Yeah. Because my dad died young when I was a little girl. I happened to be the fourth child of um, three women. So my two sisters were born. And then there was a son who died of sudden infant death syndrome at eight months. And after I was born. And I was really, my mom was really scared I was going to die when I was born. Because, you know, she just lost her son. And I asked her, you know, asked her this year, actually, after writing the book, I'm like, mom, why do you think that like, I have such a hard time making decisions and I waver until I make them. And she's like, I think you just grew up around a lot of fear because I'm also not afraid of things. Like I'm not afraid to do adventurous things, but I'm afraid to make decisions. And so if I do something (laughs) adventurous, then I can make that decision. You know, what's interesting about that is I think when we push ourselves past that threshold, something really magical happens. For example, if I'm climbing, if I'm leading outside in a situation that, you know, you could die if you mess up and make a mistake, you could literally die. 
if I'm on an easy climb, and by the way, I rank climbing in this way, five fun or five easy, five fun, five hard. I love it. So let's say I'm on a five fun climb or even a five easy climb. I get inside my head and I start getting fearful, right? Because I have time to stop and think about it and, and think to myself. the person belaying it is infinitely frustrating. It's frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating for me. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with me? This is an easy climb. I should just do it. But I have time to think about it. If I'm on a five hard climb, I don't have time. I got to get through it. These are crimpers. I got to all I think about is that next piece, getting that next piece secure in a crack or whatever I'm climbing. And I find that fascinating in life. We get inside our heads and we we're so anxious about something bad happening that we don't allow ourselves to just concentrate on that that end goal and get through it. And it's a state of meditation in a lot of ways because when you're so focused on accomplishing that thing that nothing else has time to come into your purview, that is such a beautiful place to be. And it's not only magical, it's, it's life-changing. Just like meditating, when you're done, you see the world differently. The things that scared you in business or in relationships or you know, making change just seems like, I got this. You know, it's like clearing the slate makes room to make better decisions. Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think adventure is in nature. It's the perfect place to cultivate awe, mm -hmm. flow. Totally. And you are demanded to be in the present moment. It's hard to sit and meditate. Yeah. If you're surfing a wave, yeah. you have to focus. Or if you're climbing a rock wall or hiking on a ledge, you have to focus or you do fall. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I think what's also so cool is all of our senses are so heightened. And engaged. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why like, I have a friend who puked the minute he got back to the city after a long camping trip because the smell was just so overwhelming of the mm. city compared to nature. But also, you know, in nature, our perspective broadens. Like, it's why we're so drawn to the tops of mountains and looking out on the ocean at horizons. I think we're expanded in such a broad way than we can ever expand inside four walls mm -hmm. indoors. So I also think one of the other great things I love about nature is, well, one, awe. Like awe is a really good pattern interrupter. You could have been having a bad day at work or you could have been sitting in traffic or you could have fought with your partner. And, you know, the other day I went and surfed with some girlfriends at Black's and we were complaining about how crowded it was and just like someone was complaining about their kid. And I was like, I looked up and we looked up at the hills and they were covered with wildflowers. Mm. And California has <laughs> never looked this good as it looks right now. Seriously. Springtime right now. <laughs> the hills, emerald green, there were blue flowers out in the distance. There was this insane blue ocean. And all of us stopped and we were like, this is beautiful. And then we couldn't help but be positive. And I think awe happens when you see an eagle swoop down and grab a snake or a dolphin leap. So much of life is predictable right now. But in nature, there's so many parts of life that are not predictable, which means there's so many more places to experience the magic of awe, which is such a great feeling to experience. Absolutely. And I know yeah. I love it. I, there's this part in your book where you're talking about being in Costa Rica and you smell better, you hear better, you see greater distances and how, you know, all of your heightened senses are aware and present, really. I think it's about being present, right? I think so. I mean, but also, 
you know, when you hear these, it's wild. I'll go to Costa Rica and then I come back to San Diego and I'll start hearing birds here better because the birds there are mm. so wild. They're <laughs> so loud. There was this bird that was sitting in front of my, I did a writer's one, I did two weeks in Costa Rica at a writer's, what do you call this? A residency. I didn't even know such a thing existed. So if you're a writer listening to this podcast, maybe you knew about this, but there are places all over the world that will hook you up and let you stay for pretty much free or a, a reduced cost while you work on your craft. And somehow I landed this thing in Costa Rica that where I got so to cool. do this. It was amazing. <laughs> you know, I, this was like a secret to all writers um, that I learned about. It was incredible. But there was this bird at four in the morning that's, that's it's not a rooster, but it sounded like an alarm clock. Like I'm pretty sure they modeled alarm clocks after <laughs> this bird. And I looked it up. And it was called like the alarm clock bird. Oh, wow. And it was just so funny. I was like, well, I guess I'm starting my writing at 4 a.m. <laughs> but that sound, like I would start to hear other birds and I could, I could hear the difference between birds because there's so many different ones. And now at home in San Diego, I can hear the difference between like a dove or a blue jay. I never could have told you the difference between, I could have cared less about birds mm. for. But um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Your senses definitely heighten. Watching birds is one of my favorite pastimes. Just being out in nature when I'm not feeling, you know, if I'm feeling off, we're lucky we live at Mount Helix and there's so much nature here mm. and so many like trails that make you feel like you're out of the city and yet we're just right off the eight. But when we bought this house, I was like, is this the right decision? So I said to Chad, by the way, Chad, my co-founder here at uh, The Premise, also my husband, when we were going to buy this house, I said, okay, we have to go sit in front of the house and listen. And if we hear a lot of birds, then we'll buy the house. <laughs> and That's a great parameter, buying a house. And we did. Like, and there were so many birds that day. There were so many hummingbirds and crows and hawks and I don't know, everything. It was, I was like, okay, we're buying this house. No alarm clock birds though. Thank goodness. Although that sounds kind of cool. I like that. I, I remember being in South Park. Before here, we were in South Park, and there's a bird there. The um, Which bird is it, Chad? I'm drawing a blank. That makes noise at night, sings at night. And a, a friend of mine came from Portland, Oregon, and she's like, you guys have like the weirdest birds. Why are they singing at night? They're supposed to be sleeping. And I was like, well, that's just how they roll here, how they fly here. But yeah, birds are like, we need to pay more attention to what they have to say, I think. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I agree. We should go bird watching and then climbing. Let's do it. In fact, one of my favorite runs, I don't run anymore because I have hip problems, but I used to be a big trail runner. And my one of my favorite trails is up off of Manchester. Is that San Alejo? The San Alejo. Oh, yeah. I run that almost at least once a week. I used to run it every day. I used to manage a flower store in La Jolla and I would drive in traffic up to the San Alejo. I'd start at the college there and run all the way to the beach. Did you man manage Adelaide? No, it wasn't Adelaide's. It was called Diva Flowers and the La Jolla oh, cool. basket or the flower basket. So one was at the Genesee and the other was in UTC. How fun. That was in the gig. 90s. Yeah. Great gig. In fact, when I discovered rock climbing, I quit that job and moved, <laughs> moved to Yosemite. What? That's so cool. And is that when you guys lived in a van? Well, that was before I met Chad. 
So I was managing flower stores. This was BC. BC. So you were a girl in Yosemite, single and rock climbing? I was. You must have slayed. It was pretty awesome. (laughs) It was pretty awesome. My, when I first discovered rock climbing, it changed my life because I was in the same position you were like, I thought I had to be someone specific in order to be taken seriously as a female. I wanted to be an anchor. I wanted to be a television anchor and a journalist. And the first time I climbed, it's actually kind of a funny story. I'm, I've never been on a rock outdoors and I hadn't been like camping or anything for like, since I was a child, I was all about the city life in San Diego. So a girlfriend of mine took me climbing to the, for the day with her then new boyfriend climber. And I've got my helmet on, I've got my harness on and the guy who's showing me doesn't have a rope on. He's just kind of standing on the rock next to me. Right. And he's like, okay, put your finger here and step here and do this. And I'm like, okay. So I'm, about halfway up, maybe 30 feet up, and I'd make the mistake of looking down. Oh. Now, I think I forgot to mention, I am terrified of heights. There was a time when I was on a, a very not steep trail, and I got so afraid that I sat down and cried for them to call the fire department because I couldn't get up and I couldn't go any farther because the cliff was there. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. So terrified of heights. So I looked down and I'm like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? But then I looked up and I saw the trajectory of the rope and Paul and I thought, if I fall, I'm going to swing and I'm going to bump into him and he's going to fall and he's going to die. So I have to finish this climb. Terrified. I get to the very top and he says, okay, turn around, sit in this alcove and just relax while I manage the rope and then we'll rappel down. I'm like, okay, okay, I cannot wait to get off this climb, right? It's the most terrifying, awful thing I've ever done in my life. Never going to do this again. Turn around. And I look out. We had hiked maybe a thousand feet up. So this is an Idlewild, by the way. And I look down at the, the valley, which is way below. And I'm above the tree line. And all of a sudden, this crow comes by, speaking of birds and signs. And he's like on the wind. And just sort of like stops in front of me, all time, all sound, everything just stops. And the, but the bird is like moving silently. And I just had this euphoric moment where I was like, oh my God. And I, my eyes saw the world differently. And then the bird flies off. And then I look at Paul and we wrap down. And that day we get back to their house. I'm on the couch asleep exhausted mentally emotionally i'm excited and my friend says what were you dreaming about and i was like oh i think i was climbing a crack and she's like yeah i could tell because your fingers were doing this weird motion and like (laughs) it's like you were climbing in your sleep i'm like oh my god i totally was a week later i had quit my job and borrowed camping equipment got myself a pair of shoes and a harness and i just went to yosemite wow that's so cool And I'm sure it helped you become a writer in so many ways. Well, it helped me realize who I was, that Mm -hmm. I wasn't the the trajectory of being successful, you know, in in making it in society's terms changed. I was here for a different purpose. And yeah, I think it did help me become a better writer, but really it connected me to nature. It connected me to myself and... It was, it was a turning point in my life. And then I, soon thereafter, I did meet Chad. And we did move into our, our vehicle. And we traveled around the country. 
And we worked for a magazine, actually. We worked for a climbing magazine or a cycling, cycling magazine. Yeah. Chaz is I cyclist. love that. I, I think that like, you know, adventure connects us to love. Sometimes absolutely love partner yeah. even. I mean, I met my own partner. I think it's so great that you two met uh, shortly after that journey. I also met my partner, you know, shortly after deciding to move to Costa Rica after I quit my job, which seemed like a crazy decision <laughs> because I'd gone to Emory for journalism school. I, I know you'd gone to San Diego State for journalism school. And it, I was like, wow, am I throwing this all away to go teach surfing in Costa Rica? But I realized I could actually write from there. I even wrote an article in Spanish for the local newspaper. But it was there when I wasn't chasing guys any longer that I was surfing and you know, Johnny, who I'm still with 12 years later, was out in the water. And it was really interesting. I think, you know, I have a friend who's a nature writer, and she wrote this book called How to Suffer Outside. And she said something that has really stuck with me. She said, her name is Diana Helmuth. And she said, nature doesn't give a shit about you. So you're forced to give a shit about yourself. Wow. And That's I love cool. that line. Yeah. But, I mean, I think nature does care about you. But I think Nature has so many great metaphors. You know, mm. you can't have a rainbow unless you put up with the rain. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I personally am, am struggling. I have this this skin thing that popped up in my late 30s called vitiligo where my pigment is usually really dark tan and it's it's white and I have these splotches on my face and people think I do chemical peels and I, I laugh because it's like the last thing I would do but um maybe later but anyways <laughs> never say never right I, I look at I look at you know trees and some of the coolest trees hmm. are discolored and spotted and you know some of the coolest animals are spotted and I just have to embrace myself yeah. I have to embrace aging and I have to love myself like nature doesn't judge who you are, what you look like, how much money is in your bank account, if you had Botox or not, whatever, how good of a surfer you are, she really doesn't care. You just have to respect nature. And I think nature provides a lot of answers that you don't necessarily get just doing pro-con lists on on a piece of paper. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Totally. One of my favorite chapters in your book is when it all goes haywire. In that moment when Cheryl Strayed's boot falls over the cliff. And you quote Yvonne Chouinard, which I'd like to read for our listeners. It's not an adventure until something goes wrong. So true. Let's talk a little bit about that, about this idea of the rain and the rainbow, because it's, you're absolutely right. Like you can't get the rainbow without the rain. And do we appreciate the rainbow as much without the rain? Yeah, I've been thinking about this more and more. and you know, trying to love the process of all of it, even when it's hard. Mm-hmm. And in an adventure, something will inevitably go wrong because you're at the mercy of mother nature. And despite all of our technology, it's still unpredictable. Mm. And it, there's going to be things that you can't plan for, just like life. <laughs> but I think it's more fun to sometimes experience in nature because we sort of are more prepped for the fact that something will go wrong, but it makes it easier to plan for those times in life when things go wrong and sort of laugh at them and enjoy them. And I think the key part of this chapter is for me, (laughs) humor is my salve. And, you know, even rock climber Alex Honnold uses humor in perilous situations 
with his climbing partner because humor really eases tension. I've seen big wave surfers do this too. And when I'm out with a group of girls and the waves are scarier for me than I'd like to surf, when one of my girlfriends talks smack to me, it always <laughs> makes me just less afraid. Right. You know, I used to teach surfing to women. And one of the things I would say to them when they were absolutely terrified of bigger waves, especially when we were in a place like Costa Rica or there was a sandy bottom and the water was warm, I was like, just imagine the water when you fall off and you're underwater is giving you a massage <laughs> and it's a spa treatment. <laughs> and I think, you know, the nature best exfoliation us, you'll yes, ever get. <laughs> I was like, nature is just a good reframer. But also, I think in nature, when we're climbing or surfing or hiking, we're not all dolled up. We're often not our prettiest selves, but we are our most authentic selves. You know, when I'm surfing a wave, I often have sand in every orifice. Sometimes if I've caught a really good wave but fallen, my bikini is, you know, halfway up my booty. My <laughs> lower boob is exposed. Uh, I have sunscreen everywhere and I am in my most beautifully beautiful state on the inside. And I might not look aesthetically the most gorgeous, but I'm the happiest. Mm -hmm. And I think nice. nature's taught me to also reframe beauty, you know, my relationship with beauty. I I live in, you know, a town where and I have family from LA <laughs> or vanity is is put up on a pedestal in in a way. And I think nature has has shown me that beauty, everybody has something that's beautiful about them, just like there's something beautiful in all of nature to find. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we're in nature, we're not thinking about how, oh, I mean, we shouldn't be thinking about how good we look, right? And, no. and nature will force us. In fact, there's this great story of you on the Amazon and all of a sudden, you know, you brought three bikinis, but not a pair of long pants. <laughs> and in hindsight, maybe that was the best, the best choice. But I, tell us a little bit more about that experience. Yeah, it was like 2011 and stand up paddleboarding was, was fairly new. Um, still, there was no gear for like paddle pants. There's like two companies that I knew of at the time that were making paddle pants. And so I basically just wore like Lululemon Capri leggings, which were the style at the time. And it looked cute. And I also <laughs> brought all these bikinis because we had a photographer along. And I thought we were going to be paddling down these rivers and taking beautiful photos. And I'd look really cute. But the truth is, is like, one, I I was so nervous before the trip that I like put on, you know, whatever. I I. I just was eating peanut butter pretzels by the by the jar and um I was really strong and my lower ankles were completely exposed to the element. So even though I'd put DEET and just toxic bug spray I probably would never use now on my legs, they got eaten alive by bugs. I don't know what kind of bugs were in the Amazon, but my ankles and the girl I was paddling with's ankles, they swelled up until they were cankles and we just laughed <laughs> all we could do was make fun at each other and laugh it was so uncomfortable so hot so sweaty so itchy i sort of get like ptsd whenever i get a bug bite today but um yeah you you there is no room for vanity in in nature especially when you're paddling <laughs> down the amazon yeah you get schooled in a way that's awesome You've been on some incredible adventures. Do you have a favorite? You know, in 2013-14, Johnny and I had been dating, 
you know, for like not that long. And we decided to move to New Zealand. Oh, awesome. I think that was my favorite adventure. We moved to this little surf town called Raglan, where there are lush emerald green pasture hills juxtaposed to this like beautiful sea and perfect waves. And everybody there had like a garden, was very connected to nature. And I was regularly shot, stopped by sheep or cows in the road. Um, and I just felt like that every day there was an adventure. I mean, people in this town that I moved to, especially at this time, are very connected to the land and the nature and adventuring. I mean, even the real estate agent whose house, we were renting his mother's house and he's like, hey, do you guys want to go climbing or caving? And we're like, okay, we'll go to a cave. I don't, we didn't even know what that <laughs> meant. And he took us to this cave the first day that we got there. And first we had to cross a cow pasture where there was this giant bull. And that itself was scary. He had written a note on his car that said like ETA with like the military time. If we're not back, call this number. <laughs> and Johnny and I looked at each other and we're like, oh, what did we get ourselves into? But we couldn't really say no because we'd already gone an hour out of the way and we were staying at his mom's house. We didn't, didn't want to offend the local. And he took us into this cave and it was just magical. It was terrifying. There were, there were holes that we had to climb through called the birthing canal because they were so small and tight that didn't look like you could get through them. And then you got through them. There were these beautiful caverns. And there were glowworms inside. Wow. And as a little girl, I didn't have a lot of dolls, but I had this doll <laughs> that was a glowworm. And you could squeeze this glowworm and it would light up. And I didn't know what that was. But these glowworms were all over in New Zealand. It was like looking up at a sky of stars, but they were like these moving little worms, which wow. sounds disgusting, but no, it sounds awesome. it's really cool to see. <laughs> you know, they're probably like maggots. No, I don't know. They're really cool. And I don't know. I just, they also have this word in New Zealand. It's a Maori, Maori word called aroha, which is very similar to the Hawaiian word aloha. And, you know, I think I just learned this really deep love for nature, for each other, for the land. And it was a long adventure. It was an adventure that turned into about six months because we kept extending our visa for as long as we could stay in that country. And then we did it again the next year. Eventually, I came back and I needed to make some money. So I got a job. But that adventure will always stay with me because every day, was just an adventure living there. Yeah. Um, awesome. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. I love it. Let's talk about your podcast. All right. Well, so meta, talking about a podcast on a podcast. I know, right? I love that. <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny, Jennifer. So yesterday, uh, we had to leave our house recently for termite tenting. We mm. live in this condo on the beach, and it's great, but I was moving some stuff, and I found these old columns I had written for the San Diego community newspaper group when I was 19 years old. And I remember at the time in college, I had this journalism professor and he's like, if you guys do one smart thing this summer, you'll go intern at your local paper. They will let you write as many stories as you want. You'll get so many clips. It'll be so good for you. And so I skateboarded down to the beach and Bay press, which was in Pacific beach. And they had, I asked them if I could get an internship there, sent in my resume. They pretty much hired me on the spot and a couple of weeks in, I was like, I sh you guys should have an adventure surfing column. And they literally kind of gave it to me. And I just <laughs> over-delivered. Awesome. <laughs> I found this column. It was called Breaking News. And then I changed it to Going Wild. And I covered people who bike across the country, 
surfed for a cause, broke records. And I think I'd forgotten about it. But many years later in 2016, I had had these PR jobs, I had journalism jobs, and I was ready to blow up my life again and make a change. And I loved podcasting, mm. but I'd only listened really to Tim Ferriss's podcast, which I loved, but I wish he'd interviewed more women and more adventurers because those are the stories I like to hear that in the lens that I like to see the world through. And so I got up the courage. I took actually a test called a Strengths Finder test. I think yeah. Gallup provides it. And yeah. It kind of showed me that I was, I had a lot of skills that could help me start a podcast. And I was surfing in the water and a friend was telling me about this entrepreneurship accelerator class where day one, you write your business plan, week 12, which is the last day of class, you present your business to a team of investors. And I was like, I wonder if I could like use that as a springboard to launch this podcast. And I came up with this idea to start a podcast about people who chase wild ideas. It's called Wild Ideas Worth Living. And I ended up partnering with REI Co-op, a store and brand that gets people outside, a beautiful brand who I love working with. They just got some award by Forbes magazine that they're the top company to work for that cares about social and climate justice, which is really cool. And they're good people. They ended up buying the podcast a couple of years later, but it's been an incredible ride. Like I didn't know anything about the tech side of podcasting. I had zero social media following when I started. I had a lot of background in journalism and a big background in marketing, but there was a lot I had to learn. And part of the podcast process that I loved was that I had to get over being a perfectionist because you have to release. For me, I was doing a weekly show to start. And um, yeah, I had to That's a lot. produce a show every week. Yeah. It was a lot. I, I didn't have time to be a perfectionist. And I had to learn to invest in myself. I had to hire a producer, which meant I wanted to find sponsors to help offset these costs. And it was, you know, the kind of business I could wrap my brain around. And it's been a joy. So I've interviewed all of these people who've done wild ideas. And now REI Co-op owns that podcast. I'm still the host. And I've sort of evolved my interest a little bit. I'm still incredibly interested in adventure, but I'm also interested in the intersection of mental health and adventure. So I also started a new podcast in 2020, 2021 called Vitamin Joy, where I interview people who talk about mental health and humor, because that's something I felt like, I felt like we'd lost our collective sense of humor yeah. as a society. And I think we're getting it back. Um, I don't know. I'm a big fan of joyful shenanigans. Same. I love and that. Yeah. I think they're fun. So that that podcast is on pause because, wow, writing a book and publishing a book <laughs> is a beast. I had no idea um, what goes into writing a book. But um, yeah, so Wild Ideas Worth Living is presented by REI Co-op Studios Productions. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's really cool. We've interviewed everybody from Cheryl Strayed to, you know, these really cool women um, just so many people that, that, you know, people, you know, like Conrad Anchor, Alex Honnold to, let's see, a woman who swam in ice water and broke the ice mile record. This, this week, there's a woman who ran across Australia to raise money for wildlife. And there's all types of people on the podcast. And I think REI has been really cool. They've been pushing me to interview what the scope of adventure looks like and who belongs in the outside. And their goal is to really make the outdoors more inclusive for nice. all. 
and it's it's been cool. It's broadened my horizons, and we've had such a wide range of guests on this year. Um, so yeah, podcasting is fun. You know, I'm going to be honest. Uh, probably not the best thing to say on a writing podcast, but <laughs> I do like podcasting in some ways a little better than writing. It's for me, it comes more naturally. Hmm. Writing was was hard. Yeah. The screen time was hard. Yeah. But there are these moments of just like pure bliss when I write. And there is something pretty special about words on a page. Indeed. But I do like the intimacy of podcasting. And I'm really grateful the medium came around when it did. Because I always loved the interviewing process of journalism mm -hmm. the best. Same. Yeah. Like I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be an interviewer. I wanted to be yeah, Diane Sawyer, if we're honest. Cool. I, I, I wanted to be Barbara Walters. Nice. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so that didn't happen for me because the path to get my education was long and arduous. And, you know, I didn't have the money to afford college or I didn't have the time to go to college when I had the money because I was working too much. So it took me 10 yeah. years to get my degree. Wow. Good for you. And by the time I graduated, I was like, yeah, I don't want to work at a TV station. Uh, fuck that. Like, I'm not that person. I'm not the person who can just go along with what I need to do to get there. If you haven't figured that part out yet, but you probably have, shall we? <laughs> No, so I, I like, I ha I'm not very good I'm at conforming. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm like you. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not good at that. So then I went into print journalism and I loved it. But podcasting, I absolutely love it. I, I think it's because we have that connection, the interview side. We still are storytellers. So yeah, I mean, podcasting has been so much fun for Chad and I. I mean, Chad doesn't say much. He's my producer and tech guy and he makes it all happen. I just talk. <laughs> I think what's so cool is you don't have to cut stuff. You don't sound smarmy. Like hmm. you're Thank honest. You. No one's gonna well, in podcasting in general. In general. Like, you never. <laughs> A lot have of people to be, sound that way though. You never have true, but like you know, in journalism, sometimes you have to. I don't know. You get so many words to tell a story, and then the story isn't really conveyed, or the full quote isn't conveyed, and so things can get lost. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a podcast. Less gets lost. It's more natural. That's true. I like that. And we have more time for it, too. I mean, the world mm. is moving so quickly. Like, we all have to be there. Like, we've got half an hour to get from here to there. And that time is now spent audiobooks and podcasts. So it's a great way to spend time. Agree. Totally. And I, you're good at it. I have a quick... Thank you. So are you. So are you. I've listened to several of your podcasts, and I'm a big fan. I didn't say that in the beginning, but listeners, you're definitely going to have to check out the All right, enough Wild Ideas Worth Living. I know, I know, I can't help it. You find someone who's like-minded, and you go a little crazy. Well, where were you when I was writing my book, Jennifer? I know. I really wanted to write, meet other writers who are adventurers, and I'm. It's it's really cool. I think the one thing about writing a book is it was lonely for me. Yeah. And it can be. It's insular community. for sure. Yeah. Um, podcasting feels less lonely. Mm. Well, I tell you what, we need to be friends for sure. And you need to join my writing community and be part of it. And the San Diego Writers Festival. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but we, the premise is the official podcast of the San Diego Writers Festival. And Edith Eager was at our first festival, actually. I know you interviewed her, which was a very beautiful part of your book. I'm really glad you included her. She's so cool. So fun fact, I dated her grandson in eighth, oh, ninth grade, that's Jordan awesome. Engel. Yeah. And I'd heard her speak at my school when I was in eighth grade and just fell in love with her story. And mm -hmm. I remember my mom was like, Shelby, I remember when you came home and you were just blown away by this woman's story of survival. 
and courage. And for those of you who don't know, Edith Eager is this incredible Holocaust survivor who at 91 and 93 wrote books. <laughs> and she's funny. Like she Super told me funny, yeah. doctor, she told me like some, some like sex advice. It was awesome. And then she said, Shelby, if you do the j- dishes, Johnny dries. And I was like, okay, that's actually, since then, Johnny doesn't let me ever get away with not drying the dishes when he washes. But um, <laughs> she's funny. She's hilarious. She's got great advice. She mm-hmm. probably should have a podcast. Although, I, how old is she now? She's got to be. I, in her, I think she's 93, 94. Okay. Yeah. She might be older than that. Maybe right. Yeah. But she's uh, got so much youth and vibrancy in, in the way she approaches life. I 100% agree. And, you know, she's she's taught me that self-love is not narcissistic. Mm-hmm. It's self-care. And I think a lot of adventurers struggle with, you know, adventure is selfish in many ways, mm-hmm. but it's not selfish because it's self-care. And I really, that's like one of those things I really wanted to get across. You did. In the book. You totally okay, did. And there was that, in fact, I was just thinking, I love that part in the book when you talk about that. And I was like, yeah, we have to remember to take care of ourselves first. And I think you said, put your oxygen mask on first. Yeah. We have to remember to do that. If we don't, we have nothing left, you know? Nope. And if we have nothing left for others, what does that say about ourselves? Well, I think it's that we, you know, to pursue a wild idea, it's, it's hard. So to do anything great. It's, it's hard. I'm sure it's hard to have a baby. It's hard to have a long marriage. But if you have a why, which kind of Edith taught me and some others, you will, you will find your how mm-hmm. and you will stay in your game. And your why might just be that it's an act of self-love and that's okay. Yeah. That's a great why. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, at the beginning of this podcast, listeners, I asked Shelby how much time she had. And she said two hours. And I was like, oh, well, we, we won't need that much time. But now I'm like, we could talk for two hours, <laughs> but, but we're not going to. There's a, a couple more things. And I didn't even get to half of the questions I wanted to ask you. But I want to talk about TEDx San Diego. So Shelby is going to be on the TEDx San Diego stage on June 11th at the Conrad Previs, which is in La Jolla. And tickets are sold out, but you can still get Zoom tickets to watch. And I highly recommend you go get your tickets and join us. I'm going to be there. Everyone should be there. But Shelby, my question is, like, what made you decide to tell your story on the TEDx stage? Oh, I've wanted to do a TEDx forever. Mm. It's funny. I just found a picture. I was at the first TEDx San Diego like 10 years ago. And I think that everybody should pursue a wild idea. I want that idea to get out there. I want more people to connect with nature, to do an adventure. And I don't know, this year's a really unique TEDx San Diego. It's just San Diego speakers. Mm-hmm. Is that and the first year? It's the first time they've ever done it. Wow. With just That's San cool. Diego speakers. Huh. It's cool. There's really unique people. You know, there's there's writers who talk about food that have been on your podcast. Um, there's a guy who was sex trafficked as a kid. There's an older gentleman who believes that you should say it now. Mm-hmm. Tell the people you love them now. It's it's a diverse range of speakers. And it's funny, I, I wanted to start meeting other people in San Diego that I might not come across in my own community. I've met all these great people through my podcast, but they're all adventurers. And I've gotten to meet people in biotech and in 
fisheries and someone who works for the Port of San Diego, mm-hmm. <laughs> all through TEDx San Diego. So I think it'll be a great event. I went to it last year and Edith Eager was there. It was so fun. And there's also performers besides speakers. So yeah, it's a full day of entertainment. I'm so glad you're going to be there. We can hug in person. Absolutely. And continue the love fest. That's exactly right. I'm excited about it. What do you hope people take away? I mean, I think you just kind of told us, but what do you want people to take away from your talk? I want people to be kind to themselves. Mm. It's advice Cheryl Strayed gave me. And she said she doesn't care if her kids grow up to be lawyers or dentists or whatever. She just wants them to be kind. And of course, I want you to go outside and pursue an adventure, big or small, however you want. And I always say this line at the end of all of my podcasts, but you know, I believe that some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. So if someone tells you you're crazy for doing it, but you know it'll propel your life forward positively, you should do it. Mm. And people did tell you, well, you're, what are you doing? You have a dream job. You're blowing up your life. You know, people don't do that. Say, yeah, yeah. People tell me I'm crazy all the time. And um, you just have to give them love. Once you have your why and you believe yourself, you'll shush the naysayers who are outside, but also the ones in your own head. And I think if you really believe in your wild idea, most people are kind and they'll support you. But mm-hmm. we're living in wild times. And Indeed. <laughs> I think we should just be kind to other people and mostly kind to ourselves. Yeah. Well, and I think people give us that advice, the naysayers, really they love us and they're afraid for us. Exactly. You know, and they they just want us to be safe. But sometimes stepping across that threshold brings you to places that are just amazing. And it's worth taking the risk. Yeah, you don't get to see the view at the top of the mountain unless you actually climb the mountain. And damn, is it a good view when you finally get there. That is the best feeling in the world after you've climbed something just terrifying. And you get to the top and you turn around and it's just the silence, just this moment that is unlike any other. And the world is just perfect. The view is amazing. There's no one there but you and your thoughts. And you're just so proud of yourself that you overcame that fear, did it anyway, and you're going to do it again. <laughs> I completely agree with you. I, I sort of was lost in the, in the thought of like looking at a balance. Let's range. go. <laughs> Shelby, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this podcast interview. It was it was a delight. Thank you. You're a delight. Yeah, I can't wait to hang out with you. Me too. Now I got a climbing buddy. I'm not a really good climber, so this is great. You can show me how it's done. Well, and I'll be honest, I'm never going to get out in, in the ocean. I'm terrified of, of the waves. To me, that is the most terrifying thing. Rocks are very stationary. You know, for the most part, they don't move. But the ocean, oh my gosh, it does not sit still. Oh, but La Jolla Shores on a dreamy summer day is is pretty gentle. Well, maybe, maybe you never know. Never, never say know. never. <laughs> you can learn more about Shelby Stanger at shelbystanger.com. Follow her on Instagram at Shelby Stanger and listen to her podcast, Wild Ideas Worth Living. Wherever you get your podcasts, you will love it. This has been another episode of The Premise. Please follow The Premise on Twitter at PodPremise, and be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you do get your podcasts. You know, those ratings make a huge difference and increase the chance that others find us, because they need to know about wild ideas worth living, too. So let's get the word out together. 
And of course, the premise is the official podcast of the San Diego Writers Festival. Be sure to subscribe to the festival newsletter at San Diego Festival.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Ow! <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I swear we really could.